welcome everybody. It's horse hide to cow hide, America's pastime. Featuring your host, Ricky Litwinkowicz. Welcome everybody to Horse Hide to Cow Hide, America's pastime. I'm Ricky, the DJ at Pipe Bomb Radio. Hope everybody had a great week. This week's show, we will be covering the dates June 7th to June 13th. Throughout this calendar week, we had multiple events on a lot of the same levels. Multiple no-hitters, a retirement, and some really, really interesting footage way back from 1967. On this week's episode, we have guest speakers as well. Darmnell, the Playmaker Celines from the Playmaker's blog. Alex, the Bear Man from Texas, a sports writer from the state of Texas. And three new guest speakers. Mark Braverman, a lifelong baseball fan. Enzo Puntrelli, a baseball historian from Staten Island, New York. And Shukri Wrights, sports DJ from 91.5 FM WMFO in Boston, Massachusetts. Let's get to those historical moments in baseball history. June 7th, 1957. Howard University awards honorary degrees of Doctor of Laws to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and recently retired Dodgers infielder Jackie Robinson. In the coming years, the former baseball great and the Baptist minister will often appear together at civil rights rallies, fundraising events, and demonstrations. Here's Darnell with his commentary on this historical event. Now you get to the date of June 7th, 1957, a day where two men who have gone down in American history were seen in a picture together at a historical back college called Howard University receiving awards as honorary doctor of law degrees. The one man 10 years prior in 1947 broke the color barrier in baseball by the name of Jackie Robinson. We all heard about the story of Plumeus John. We haven't seen a movie on him. Jackie Robinson was the first black man to play in Major League Baseball for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Jackie Robinson is very well known. They even have their own special day in Major League Baseball called Jackie Robinson Day that happens in April. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see that this year, but it's one of the greatest events, <clears throat> greatest days in baseball history where everybody gets the word of their jersey number 42, no matter what team they play for. And the man that was with him in that picture, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the man who fought the civil rights for African Americans, the man who began a peaceful toast testing. Even though some of the protests in the day was violent, even though he got locked up, he stayed the course to change the way people of the African-American community were changed forever. Now, in some instances, as you see today, some of the changes still need to be in effect. But as you see, thanks to Dr. Martin Luther King, you see protests are still going on today, despite what has happened in our country, in America, but it's now going all over the world. 
So these two men, Jackie Robinson and Dr. Martin Luther King, together in 1957, receiving degrees from Howard University. June 8th, 1961. Eddie Matthews, Hank Aaron, Joe Attic, and Frank Thomas hit four consecutive home runs in an inning off Reds pitchers Jim Maloney and Marshall Bridges, making the Braves the first major league team to accomplish the feat. The seventh inning big fly barrage, another blast by Matthews and one by Warren Spawn, aren't enough when Cincinnati still manages to win the game at Crosley Field 10-8. 1969. On Mickey Mantle Day, the Yankees retire uniform number seven in front of a crowd 60,096, the first sellout at the Bronx Ballpark since the 1964 World Series. The Mick also receives a plaque from Joe DiMaggio that will hang on the center field fence, and then in turn, he gives the Yankee Clipper a similar plaque, telling the crowd, his should just be a little bit higher than mine. And I'm terribly privileged to have the honor to once again call from the dugout one of the all-time Yankee greats, the magnificent Yankee, the great... Number seven, Mickey Mantle. Thank you. When I walked into this stadium 18 years ago, I felt much the same way I do right now. I don't have words to describe how I felt then or how I feel now. But I'll tell you one thing, baseball was real good to me. And playing 18 years... Yankee Stadium for you folks is the best thing that could ever happen to a ball player. Now, to think that the Yankees are retiring my number seven with numbers three, four, and five tops off everything that I could ever wish for. I've often wondered how a, a man who knew he was going to die could stand here and say that he was the luckiest man in the world. But now I think I know how Lou Gehrig felt. Thank you, Mickey. And also to Mickey's fans. Here's Mark Braverman, the lifelong baseball fan, giving his commentary on Mantle's retirement. Retirement of Mickey Charles Mantle. He retired from professional baseball March 1st, 1969, ending a 17-year career. The Yankees had his retirement day on June 8th, 1969. It was the first solid Yankee Stadium since the World Series of 1964. He joined Ruth, Garrick, and DiMaggio as the fourth number retired by the team. In his speech, he asked... 
not to be like me. He asked the crowd not to be like me because I'm no hero. He also asked the Yankees to hang Joe DiMaggio's plaque higher than his own. He entered the Hall of Fame in the year of 1974. His batting average lifetime was 298. His home runs lifetime were 536. His RBI's lifetime, 1,509. Sadly, Mickey Mantle lost his life to liver cancer on August 13, 1995. He was 63 years old. And throughout the 1995 season, the New York Yankees would wear his number seven on their uniforms. Mickey Mantle is remembered by all Yankee fans as one of the greatest Yankees of all time and one of the best and one of the best switch hitters the game's ever seen. June 9th, 1914. At the Baker Bowl, Hannes Wagner becomes the second player in the history of the game to collect 3,000 hits when he doubles off Phillies Erskine Mayer. Cap Anson is the only other major leaguer to his mass as many hits. 1999. After being ejected in the 12th inning by plate umpire Randy Marsh after arguing a catcher's interference call, Bobby Valentine returns to the dugout with a fake mustache and glasses. The National League will suspend the Mets manager for two games and fine him for the disguise. So they could keep Mahomes, go to 12 pitchers, drop a position player, or maybe Mahomes would be the pitcher to go down. Runner going, they pitch out, Piazza's throw, not handled. And it's a stolen base, number 21 for Shannon Stewart. Wait a minute now. Uh-oh. What happened here? Did he make contact with the glove? Oh, a catcher's, no, not a catcher's block. Freeback awarded first base. Interference? I think Bobby Valentine. I think Bobby Valentine might be arguing that in an attempt to protect the base runner, Stewart stepped across home plate. Let's see if he crashed off. You can make contact. I'll take a look again. Piazza goes out for the pitch out. I don't even see Greenback. I know. I don't know what they called right there. I have no idea what they called. Piazza way out in front. And maybe they're saying he's too far out in front and Greenback didn't have an opportunity to even throw the bat at the ball. Now, I'll tell you what. If Greenback throws the bat at the ball, he hits Piazza. And a lot of times on a pitch out, a hitter will throw the bat at the ball. I think from that angle, that was the call that Piazza got out too yeah, quickly. Couldn't do it. And now Ricky leads off the bottom of the 13th against Graham Lloyd and takes a strike. So it'll be Henderson Alfonso. And remember now, the pitcher is in the third slot with John Overridge having been replaced as part of the double switch. <laughs> Bobby Valentine, the dugout. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bobby was thrown out on that catcher's interference call, and he's gone incognito. Sorry, Skip, we got you. Here's Enzo and his commentary on this monumental event on June 9th, 1999. This is Enzo Pontrelli, contributed to Horsehide to Cowhide America's pastime. In one of the most bizarre events in Major League Baseball history and the New York Mets baseball history, took place on June 9th, 1999, in which was billed the ever-bizarre Disguise Game Game. The New York Mets was playing against the Toronto Blue Jays. 
in an Italy squad play game which lasted 14 minutes. In the 12th inning, with the, with the score tied at 3-3, Craig Quebec was the batter for Toronto, and Patrick Mahomes Sr. was the pitcher for the New York Mets. Toronto had a runner on first base. Toronto managed to steal second base after Patrick Mahomes threw the ball to Mike Piazza to his right, and Mike Piazza threw the ball to second base, which was too late, and the umpire awarded second base to Toronto. But in that sequence, umpire Randy Marsh gave Craig Quebec first base because Mike Piazza jumped off home plate very early to his right and called catches interference or he catches Bach to Mike Piazza. That didn't please Bobby Valentine, however. He managed to barge out of the dugout, go to Randy Marsh to plead his case that Mike Piazza did not commit eight catches in the front or catches block. Randy didn't seem to buy Bobby Valentine's argument, however, and he managed to throw him out of the game. Fortunately, that didn't hurt the Mets in the inning as Patrick Bumholm Sr. managed to get out of the game with runners on first and second and one out. In the 13th inning, cameras managed to catch Bobby Valentine who sneaked out of the dugout door and they noticed that he was wearing these fake sunglasses and fake mustache from iBlack. And it gave the announcers a chuckle along with fans inside Jay Stadium. Fortunately, that didn't hurt the Mets, however, as they managed to win the game in 14, in 14 innings, 4-3. Next day, Major League Baseball noticed Bobby Valentine's disguise gear routine and gave Bobby Valentine a $5,000 fine and a two-game suspension. Now, if you want to know who came up with this idea of Bobby wearing these fake sunglasses and mustache, now we go to one Robin Winter. Robin found these sunglasses and mustache in the locker room, gave it to Bobby B and told them, Go ahead, put these on. No one will notice you. Oh, but at an award event that Bobby spoke to years ago, they noticed. They really noticed, all right. And baseball was not pleased. And when the cameras pan on you, whatever you do, you know that you're going to get caught. They didn't hurt the Mets that year, however, as they managed to finish. 97 and 66 went to the wild card to play the Arizona against the Arizona Diamondbacks, in which they won in four games, and they lost to the National League Championship Series of the Atlanta Braves in six games. This is Enzo Pancholi, contributed to Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime. June 9th, 2015. In front of a dwindling crowd, Made up of mostly remaining Giants fans, Chris Heston, making his 13th start, strikes out the side in the ninth inning to finish the season's first no-hitter, a 5-0 Giants victory over the Mets at City Field. The 27-year-old rookie right-hander's no-no, the 17th in franchise history, marks the fourth straight season the feat has been accomplished by a San Francisco hurler. 
with Matt Cain, 2012, and Tim Lincecum, 2013 and 2014, throwing complete games without yielding a hit during the past three years. Chris Heston on the mound. And you, you can't help but wonder, how is he handling this? Pitching in New York City, he has not allowed a hit, and he is one out away. Chris Heston delivers. Strike three called! He has done it! Chris Heston has pitched a no-hitter. The 17th no-hitter in the history of the Giants. And it is Chris Heston who pitches it in his rookie season. And he was outstanding from the first inning onward. This was one of those nights where how he looked in the first inning was a precursor of things to come. And he ends up with a career record, 11 strikeouts. Chris Heston, a night to remember here in the big city, in the media capital. He pitches a no-hitter for the Giants. And now they start to come off the field. And uh, listen to this city field crowd. Give him an ovation. Even Mets fans joining with Giants fans applauding a great performance even by an out-of-town pitcher. Congratulations to Chris Heston, a night to remember. June 10th, 1967. In front of his family and friends, Astros outfielder Jimmy Wynn, a Cincinnati native, hits the longest home run in the history of Crosley Field. The toy cannon's monstrous shot off right-hander Mel Queen in the team's 9-4 loss to the Reds, clears the 58-foot scoreboard in left center and bounces onto Interstate 75 outside the stadium. Go tie leads off. Wynn swings and drives deep into left field. Look at this one go, everybody. Up to the scoreboard. It's over the scoreboard, bouncing up onto the freeway. I can see it up there where those automobiles are going. Look at that drive. You talk about a tape measure shot. That has got to be the longest home run I have ever seen hit in Crosley Field or hit out of it. No question about it. Look at Jimmy Wynn. June 10th, 1972. Hank Aaron hits the 14th career Grand Slam, tying Gil Hodges' National League record as the Braves defeat the Phillies 15-3. It is career home run 649 for Aaron, enabling him to pass Willie Mays for second place on the all-time list. Here's Alex with his outlook on this historical event. Ladies and gentlemen... I am the Bear of Texas, and I want to spend a little time talking about Hank Aaron. 1972, he hits career Grand Slam number 14 that tied a record with Jill Hodges in the National League. That would be his 649th career home run, and that enabled him to pass Willie Mays for second place on the all-time list. Let's go a little ahead in time. On April 8th, 1974... Hank Aaron would hit career home run number 715, which would break the legendary record of Babe Ruth himself. Hank Aaron, there will never ever be a player quite unique like him. Here's a little bit of more facts about him. Held an MLB career for home runs for 33 years. 
He hit 24 or more home runs every year from 1955 through 1973. In addition, he is one of only two players to hit 30 or more home runs in a season at least 15 times. So to say that Hank Aaron is great, well, that is just simply not enough to describe how talented and successful that guy was. Some people say perhaps he was the African-American Babe Ruth, but that's just a comparison, that's just an opinion. Because at the end of the day, Hank Aaron was simply himself, and he was great. Played 21 seasons in baseball. Played, and he's an Atlanta Braves legend. Even to this day, he serves as the senior vice president of the Atlanta Braves. So in his case, perhaps it's safe to say, he's a brave for life. He currently holds the record for most RBIs, 2,297. Extra base hits with 1,477. And let's see, also in the top 5 in career hits, 3,771. And hit total runs, runs in his career, 2,174. This guy really wreaked havoc with the bat. And this guy really knew how to play baseball, especially on the hitting side of the game. June 11th, 1990. The ageless Nolan Ryan pitches his unprecedented sixth career no-hitter, striking out 14 batters in a 5-0 win over the Oakland A's. He is the first to pitch a no-hitter for three different teams and the first to throw a no-hitter in three different decades. Anticipation from the crowd of 35,000-plus here in Oakland. Nolan Ryan, the 2-0 pitch. Fly ball, right field. Rubensier and foul territory. Number six for Nolan Ryan. The Express has done it once again. June 11th, 1997, Marlins hurler Kevin Brown no-hits the Giants at Candlestick Park. 9-0. The right-handed sinker bowler, who faces just 28 batters, misses a chance for the perfect game when he barely grazes Marvin Bernard with a 1-2 pitch with two outs in the eighth inning. Well, we saw Fernandez. He was one out away in Chicago. Got him looking. It's a no-no. Kevin Brown is being mobbed. The second no-hitter in Marlin history. The Giants had only one base runner on a hit batsman. And on this Tuesday afternoon in San Francisco, a total brownout as the Giants do not get a hit. June 12, 1880. At the Worcester Agricultural Fairgrounds, Lee Richmond pitches the first perfect game, beating Cleveland 4-0. The 23-year-old rookie Southpaw threw a no-hitter in a collegiate exhibition against the White Stockings last season. 
1939, the greatest ever gathering of members and future inductees of the Baseball Hall of Fame assembles in Cooperstown, New York, for the dedication of the museum. Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Hannes Wagner, Walter Johnson, Grover Alexander, Nap LaJoy, George Sisler, Eddie Collins, Tris Speaker, Cy Young, and Connie Mack all accept their plaques. 1997, on June 12th, at the ballpark in Texas, the Giants defeat the Rangers 4-3 in the first interleague game in history played in the 126-year history of the sport. San Francisco outfielder Darryl Hamilton picks up the first ever interleague hit, and then his teammate Glenn Allen Hill becomes the first National League first regular season DH. Hamilton's played just 33 games this year because of assorted injuries, and he rips it into right field, the first base hit in interleague play history. Well, that's the job that they pay Hamilton to do, get on base in that leadoff spot. I think he needs to run a little bit more. Here's a guy with really good speed. June 12, 2007. Using a 102-mile-an-hour fastball and an untouchable curveball, 24-year-old right-hander Justin Verlander strikes out a career-high 12 en route to throwing a no-hitter against the Milwaukee Brewers. The 4-0 hitless gem, which features several outstanding defensive plays from his Tiger teammates, is the first no-no thrown at Detroit's Comerica Park. 0-2. High fly ball, right field. Ordonez backing up. He is there. No-hitter for Justin the first Tigers no-hitter since 1984 when Jack Morris no-hit the White Sox. What a scene at Comerica Park. June 13th, 1905, Giants hurler Christy Mathewson, who in 1901 became the first rookie in the modern era to throw a no-no, pitches his second career no-hitter, beating the Orphans at Chicago's West Side Grounds 1-0. Maddie and Mordecai Brown match hitless innings until the top of the ninth when New York reaches the future Hall of Famer for two hits. June 13th, 1948. The number three is retired in honor of Babe Ruth at Yankee Stadium in front of 49,641 fans. The ailing Bambino is in attendance as well as members of the 1923 Yankees squad. Biggest cheers from 50,000 fans go to the immortal star himself, Babe Ruth. The Bambino is still the game's greatest showman, and nostalgia is thick in the vast stadium when he's greeted by another Yankee builder, Ed Barrow. Today, the babe wears his old uniform for the last time. His famous number three will never be worn by another Yankee player, but will go to America's baseball shrine at Cooperstown, New York. Babe takes a cut for the cameraman. familiar stance and swing that once made him the most fearsome slugger of them all. 
Yankee Stadium celebrates its birthday with one more salute to American baseball's greatest guy, Babe Ruth. Here is Alex once again with his thoughts and commentary on the retirement of Babe Ruth's jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Bear of Texas. 1948. Number three is officially retired in honor of Babe Ruth at Yankee Stadium in front of nearly 50,000 fans. Of course, the great Bambino himself was in attendance as well as the squad from the famous 1923's Yankees team that would win the World Series. Well, Babe Ruth was there in person. He was not doing well at all. He was sick. And this was actually the same year where he would tragically pass away. Babe Ruth is a hero not just to the New York Yankees, not just to the fans, and not just to the sport of baseball, but he's a hero in American culture. After retiring in 1935, one year later, he was elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame as one of its first five inaugural members. 22 seasons in the league, briefly played for the Baltimore Orioles, would emerge with the Boston Red Sox. We all remember the trade to the, to the New York Yankees that would start in the Red Sox case, the curse of the Bambino. Babe Ruth really stood out well. Babe Ruth changed baseball because in the early years of Babe Ruth, it was known as the dead ball era, but his amazing power to drive the ball is what helped change it. Babe Ruth truly saved baseball. Therefore, he's more than a hero. He's a god. June 13th, 2012. Matt Cain tosses the fifth no-hitter and second perfect game of the season when he retires 27 consecutive batters in the Giants' 10-0 route of the Astros at AT AT&T Park. The San Francisco right-hander, with the help of two great defensive plays from outfielders Melky Cabrera and Gregor Blanco, becomes the first pitcher in the 129-year history of the franchise and the 22nd in Major League history to accomplish the feat. Hit out to left field. Melky Cabrera near the line. One down in the ninth. High fly ball in the park. Two down in the ninth. On the ground, Arias from deep third, got him! And that's a perfect game! And the Giants mobbing Matt Cain on the pitcher's mound.
Matt Cain tosses the fifth no-hitter in the second perfect game of the season when he retires 27 consecutive batters in the Giants' 10-0 route of the Houston Astros at AT&T Park. The San Francisco right-hander, with help of two great defensive plays from outfielders Melka Cabrera and Greg Blanco, become the first pitcher in the 129-year history of the franchise and the 22nd in Major League history to accomplish that feat. Matt Cain was an integral part of the San Francisco Giants' three-championship dynasty in the 2010s when the Giants won the World Series in 2010, 2012, and 2014. 2012 would turn out to be his best season yet. Not only was he named to the National League All-Star team, but he was also 16-5 with an ERA of 2.79. And on that, on that very day, on June 13th, 2012, he had everything going for him that day. In fact, he tied a record for the most strikeouts in a perfect game. And what makes this more incredible, when you think about what Matt Cain did that, and during that game and as well as that season, Matt Cain really stepped up in, in the San Francisco Giants rotation. When you go back and you remember who who were part who was in that rotation, Matt King was clearly the ace. Tim Lincecum, by that point, had already begun his decline, but he was still a viable factor in a San Francisco Giants rotation. But with all of that being said, Matt King, he finally was able to put it all together after years of showing promise of what he could do on one magical night on June 13, 2012. He was absolutely terrific, and he was perfect in San Francisco, throwing a perfect game against the Houston Astros. That's it for this week's episode of Horse Hide to Cow Hide, America's Pastime. We hope you've enjoyed this week's trip down memory lane. We thank Darnell, the playmaker, Celine's. Alex Alcazaz, the bear man from Texas, Mark Braverman, Enzo Pontrelli, and Shukri Wrights for their contributions to this week's show. All clips are used under the Fair Usage Act, accredited to MLB Baseball, Fox Sports, WPIX-TV, and others. Tune in next week for another edition of Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime.